There is no growth in comfort and no comfort in growth. Business today typically values and promotes leaders for their subject expertise. Leaders who have command of the details and execute based on knowledge and experience are highly respected. However, to grow as a leader, you have to get out of your comfort zone. That means learning to lead without just being the expert. Learn to gain the trust and respect of a team that might know more than you do. Get comfortable with ambiguity and with not having all the information. Develop the skills and confidence to lead in a different way. Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone. I'm Wanda Wallace, and today we're going to talk about meaning. So frequently, when I speak with people, I find that they're questioning their careers, and everybody seems to want to have this sense of greater meaning. In fact, I usually hear clients say things like, I'm not sure I want to keep doing this job forever because I want to do something that has more meaning. Greater sense of purpose, they often say. Now, I happen to personally believe that meaning, especially in the midst of all the chaotic, crazy lives that we have at the moment, especially in corporate world, I believe meaning is more about how you think about your life than it is about finding the magic company or the magic role or even the magic boss. However, you shouldn't just take my word for it, so let's talk to an expert. And with me today is Emily Esfahani-Smith. Emily is the author of The Power of Meaning, Crafting a Life That Matters. She's going to draw on psychology, philosophy, and literature to write about the human experience, why we are the way we are, and how do we find grace and meaning in a world that is complex, crazy, chaotic, distressful at times. Now, she has two articles, one called There's More to Life Than Being Happy, and a second one called The Masters of Love, both of which were originally published in The Atlantic, but they've been read over 30 million times. And her writing has appeared in the Wall Street Journal and the New York Times, in Time, and in a lot of other publications. She's an instructor of positive psychology at the University of Pennsylvania, a columnist and editor. It, the list goes on. Originally born in Zurich, Switzerland, and grew up in Montreal, Canada. She's a graduate of Dartmouth. Um, and there's much more I could say. So, Emily, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Wanda. It's great to be here. I'm thrilled. I'm absolutely, totally thrilled. And I'm excited about this topic because I think it's one a lot of people are struggling with at the moment and just looking for some avenue on. So let's start with this whole topic about happiness. I know you've written a lot about this one. A lot of people talk about happiness, and we have titles like Pursuit of Happiness and the Happiness Index. So what's the difference between happiness and meaning, or is there a difference? There is a difference. So um, one of the most interesting findings uh, in positive psychology over the last few years is that uh, a meaningful life and a happy life are not necessarily the same thing. So happiness is a state of comfort and ease. It's all about feeling good in the moment. So if you feel good, you're happy. If you feel bad, you're unhappy. A meaning, though, is is bigger. So the defining feature of a meaningful life, according to Martin Seligman, who uh, is the founding father of positive psychology, is belonging to and serving something that's bigger than you are. Um, and in research, when people say their lives are meaningful, it's because they believe that their lives matter, um, that they, they have a sense of purpose that drives them, and that their lives are coherent and make sense. Okay. Ooh, coherent and makes sense. That one's a hard one, but stay with me for a moment for the sense of purpose. Can you give me an example of what, for an average person, a sense of purpose looks like? Sure. So purpose um, is this kind of long-term goal that organizes your life. And, you know, in my for my book, The Power of Meaning, I interviewed lots of people about what gives them meaning. And one thing I heard a lot in terms of purpose was um, either their work or their family, um, in particular, raising children. So if you ask, you know, parents, you know, what's my what's your purpose? Many of them will say raising my kids. Um, and then, of course, work as well. So that's kind of where people feel like they are using um, their strengths and talents to to give back in some way to the world. Back. The, um, across the couple of people that I know that are pursuing this whole notion of purpose and meaning, this notion of giving back, of serving, of finding a way in which you are of service to other people seems to be a core element of it. Is that true in your research? 
Absolutely. So the, you know, the, the meaningful life is all about, you know, serving others and contributing. <clears throat> and in fact, the research shows that, um, that a meaningful life is associated with being a giver, whereas um, a happy life is kind of provocatively associated with being a taker. So there's definitely something about meaning that has, you know, you're, you're stepping away from your own kind of self-centeredness and contributing to others. Oh, that's interesting. And that reminds us of Adam Grant's and Givers and Takers research as well, which would support some of the conclusions that you're drawing. So on the grand scheme, does one really matter more than the other? Is happiness more important or meaningfulness more important? Or can we even ask that question? You know, I think that there's there's been so much emphasis in, in our culture and in Western culture uh, on happiness, that you know, we're, we're kind of led to believe that the whole point and purpose of life is being happy and pursuing happiness. But what I discovered in my research is that actually, what people really want at the end of the day is meaning in life. They want to know that their lives are meaningful, that their lives have worth, regardless of whether they're happy or not. At the end of the day, um, you know, if you think about a lot of the things that we do. Um, you know, projects that we pursue, purposes that we pursue from, you know, raising children to our jobs to mastering a musical instrument. These are things that don't make us happy in the moment, but we do them because they make our lives meaningful. So I do think that this, that the search for meaning really should supplant this pursuit of happiness in our culture, that, that meaning is what makes life worthwhile. And presumably recognizing the moments of meeting, meaning also adds a sense of happiness in the moment, though it's yeah, not I a mean, pursuit think, of happiness. Well, the, I mean, the, the research shows that when you pursue meaning, um, that you might not feel as good in the moment because the things that make our lives meaningful can be effortful and stressful, um, but that you're left with a deeper sense of kind of contentment and well-being down the road. So um, there's this kind of more long-term payoff that comes with the pursuit of meaning. Okay. All right. Great. I love it. All right. Then, so if meaningful, finding meaning in life, and I don't want to distinguish work and life because in my mind, work is part of life. We're all work. So Mm -hmm. finding meaning in life and the totality of our life how do we define that, and what do we go about doing to create more of it? So, um, so finding meaning in life is really about believing that your life has value and worth. Um, and in my book, I, you know, I, I turn to the research in psychology. I look at, you know, what kind of ancient thinkers and, and thinkers of the past have said, and I also. Um, you know, interviewed many people about what makes their lives meaningful. And as I kind of brought all of this research together, there were patterns that began to emerge. And I found that there are what I call four pillars of a meaningful life and that we can all, you know, build more meaning in our lives by strengthening some or all of these pillars. And they are, um, first, a sense of belonging, uh, second, purpose, third, storytelling, and fourth, transcendence. So I think that if we build these pillars in our lives, we can actually end up um, feeling like our lives are more meaningful. Interesting. So four pillars, four components that if I do more of these, I'm going to have a sense of more meaning. So a sense of belonging, a sense of purpose, storytelling and transcendence. Now, I can almost get my head around the first two, but the sec- the third and fourth I'm having a little trouble with. So can you give me an example of what each of those four might look like for an average person? Of course. So um, so belonging is, is not just, you know, of course we all need relationships to, um, you know, to, to thrive, but belonging is not just about any kind of relationship. It's really about being in a relationship where you're valued for who you are intrinsically uh, and where you value others as well. So um, for a lot of us, you know, our close family and friends provide a sense of belonging, our communities. But belonging um, it can exist in moments as well um, with any other person. So, you know, if you're at, at the grocery store and you have a 
kind of brief but um, connected conversation with the person who's checking you out. Um, or, you know, if you meet a stranger or a neighbor and you guys, you know, have a conversation that kind of goes deeper and you both really feel like you're both acknowledging one another and, and, and being present for one another in that moment, um, those are also sources of, of, of belonging and, and they build meaning. In my book, I, I quote a researcher who calls them high-quality connections, these kind of micro-moments of belonging. Um, okay. Per- purpose is, um, you know, we, we talked about it earlier, and it's, it's really about um, using your strengths to, to serve others. Um, and, you know, that, that could happen at work where you're kind of, you know, doing a project that you think is moving the needle forward in some way. But you can also, um, you know, find purpose by kind of connecting what you're doing to the broader mission of, of the organization that you work for or just by um, doing something to kind of improve the lives of the people that you work for, whether it's like bringing, you know, um, you know bringing snacks into the office, doing acts of kindness. It's really just all about kind of making a contribution making a difference. Um, you know, I talked to one person who was a researcher, uh, in, a medical researcher, and he said that his purpose is curing cancer. But I talked to another person who, um, who worked at a, an apparel company, and, and she said that her purpose was, you know, uh, spreading optimism by kind of putting out this apparel that makes people um, feel more optimistic. And this was for the company, Life is Good. Um, okay. So that's, that, that would be for purpose. And Storytelling, um, you said that the last two pillars kind of um, were a little less clear to you. And this is an interesting one because it, um, I found that it tends to be the pillar that surprises and intrigues people the most. So storytelling is really the story that you tell yourself about yourself, about how you became the person that you are today. Um, you know, creating a narrative in the events of your life, it, it brings clarity to you, um, and the way that you can build this pillar is by um, reflecting really on the defining moments of your life, the defining experiences, how they shaped you, what you lost, what you gained. Um, for a lot of us, those defining experiences can be um, experiences of adversity. So, um, you know, it's really important to not kind of to, to not try to ignore those experiences and to not. Um, try to brush them aside because they make us uncomfortable to think about. It's really critical to to reflect on them and understand how they shaped us, how they made us grow. Um, And, you know, just reflecting on them, but also, you know, writing about them by keeping a diary is one way to kind of build this pillar of storytelling. Um, The before you go on to that one, I just want to make a comment. Um, one yeah. of my colleagues from ages ago doing his dissertation work, so we're talking a lot of years ago, I won't embarrass either of this with us, and found that people who have a greater sense of an integrated life are the ones who struggle less with a midlife crisis. Mm-hmm. And I think what he meant by integrated is exactly what you mean by storytelling, that I've taken the moments that were not the shining lights of my life and drawn meaning from them and in, or interpreted them, come to understand them, taken the lessons from them, and have integrated that into the story that I tell about who I am and how I became who I am. So the same kind of idea. Fascinating. Okay? Yeah. All right. Exactly. Transcendence. Transcendence. So um, transcendent states, these are those rare moments when you're, lifted above the hustle and bustle of daily life, and you feel connected to a higher reality, and you might even feel your sense of self kind of fade away. Um, You know, a a lot of people experience transcendence in a religious or spiritual context, like at church or through prayer, through meditation, but, you know, it doesn't have to be um, a religious or spiritual experience. Um, Others experience it in nature. Um, listening to music, being at the art museum. I'm a writer, and I experience transcendence when I'm writing sometimes, and I kind of get so in the zone and in this state of flow and where I lose all sense of time and place. So, um, you know, so you can experience transcendence in the work that you do as well. So it's that losing a sense of place and time. 
So I, yeah, I love exactly. the statement, in the flow. And obviously for people who are have a more spiritual side, they will experience that from the spiritual realm. Right, typically. Exactly. exactly. All right. So uh, we're going to come back and talk about each of these in a little bit more detail. But um, are there things to do that create more of these moments of each of these four pillars? I mean, is it possible to ratchet up how much I see these in my life? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think we can be intentional about um, how we, you know, about building these pillars in our lives so you can decide, okay, um, before I go to bed, instead of spending 10 minutes on my phone mindlessly scrolling through social media, I can start journaling about about my life story and, and about how I became the person that I am. Um, you know, instead of, you know, just kind of conducting a transaction with the person you buy a newspaper from or, you know, the person you buy coffee from, you know, having a, a micro moment of, of belonging and connection with them, really cultivating that. So there are things that you can do to build this pillar, these pillars. Right. So, and it's true, it only takes a few few minutes from the person that you're buying coffee from. Maybe if you're in a long line, that's not the good use of time. But Assuming it's not a long line, to stop and recognize who the person is, look them in the eye, ask a question about them, and over time, just to get to know them a tiny bit, um, can give a sense of connection. Share a laugh, a joke about something. Is that right, what you exactly. mean? Exactly. Yeah, and you know, I don't even think that like it, it, the example of being in line um, that you have to, you know, have a whole conversation with them, but just like acknowledging them as a human being, you know, asking them, like, hi, how are you? Like, smiling, like, making eye contact. I think that a lot of the times in those kinds of transactional moments, we, a lot of people just basically ignore the other person or just kind of mumble something and mumble their order or give their credit card and, and, and that's it. But there are moments, these are moments where you can, like, just treat someone like a human being, basically. I think um, sometimes I think I experience some of these moments of micro moments, as you described, of belonging when I just to do some act of kindness for someone. A- example, grocery store, somebody struggling with a young kid, a reach out to help in just that 30 seconds that makes their life a little mm-hmm. bit easier. There's a sense of connection or can be exactly. at that time. Okay. Exactly. All right. Emily, we're going to take a break. When we come back, I want to talk specifically about this, a bit more about purpose and storytelling and how we do a bit more of that, what that looks like. So to repeat, four key pillars that drive meaningfulness in our life, a sense of belonging, and that's connected more in the micro moments, not just necessarily the deep relationships in our work and in our private lives. A sense of purpose, which is something that we're using our strengths to serve others in some way. Um, Storytelling, the ways in which we tell the stories about how we became who we are, our defining moments, positive and negative. And the transcendence, these are the moments in which you rise above the hustle bustle, feel in the flow, and lose us into place and time and even self in that moment. So with me is Emily Asfahani-Smith. She's the author of The Power of Meaning, Crafting a Life That Matters. And in case you didn't miss it, you didn't hear it at the beginning, her articles There's More to Life Than Being Happy and Masters of Love, which were originally published in The Atlantic, have been read over 30 million times. Instructor for Positive Psychology at the University of Pennsylvania as well. We'll be right back. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. If you want more information on the articles, books, coaching, and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. You're sure to find some helpful links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, Inc., helping organizations get it and keep it. How is your business running? It should be running smoothly with nary a hiccup, like a finely tuned machine. But if you're like most businesses, yours may be running nowhere close to that. 
Listen for Operationally Speaking with your host, Sergio Samel. Our program will help you to run your entrepreneurial business easier, better, with less frustration. And by running it well, you're sure to be poised for faster growth. Tune in every Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time and 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between. Discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll-free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Out of the Comfort Zone. To reach Dr. Wanda Wallace or her guest, call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to wanda.wallace at leadershipforuminc.com. Now, back to Out of the Comfort Zone. Welcome back. With me today is Emily Esfahani-Smith, and she's the author of the Power of Meaning, Crafting a Life That Matters. What I love about Emily's work is that she's drawn on philosophy, on psychology, on literature, and on a heavy dose of number of interviews with people to understand how it is that we can have more meaning in our lives. And meaning in our lives is not about quitting our job and going and doing something astronomical. It's about having meaning in the daily interactions, the daily events finding more meaning in those. And I really like the framework. So the notion here is that there are four, for people who have a sense of meaning in their lives, there are four key pillars. One of those is a sense of belonging. And that is, I feel connected to people, even in micro moments. The second is I have a sense of meaning, and that is I am using my strengths to for a higher purpose, to serve people and not in a way, in some way. And I think that can actually be quite mundane, but we'll talk about that one in a minute. Um, as well. The third one is the storytelling, the ways in which we tell the story about who we are and how we, what we've come through and how we've gotten to this point. And the fourth one is the transcendence, the moments where you're in a state of flow, you lose a sense of place and time, even a sense of self. For some of us, that's spiritual. For others, that occurs in a variety of different places. So, Emily, I want to go back to this sense of finding purpose. And you said it's about using our strengths to be of service to others. So how do we tune in to the ways that we're serving others? Do you have any tips or tactics for how we refocus that attention? Yeah, so I think that, um, you know, we, I think the first step is figuring out what your strengths are, um, what your talents are, and there's, you know, a few different ways that you can do that. The first um, is by just reflecting on, and what you're good at, when when you felt most engaged and alive, doing certain tasks uh, in certain classes, in certain jobs, um, and then just kind of trying to create an inventory of, of what you think you're good at. Um, a- another way which can kind of uh, uh, support that, that first method is there's a wonderful assessment of strengths uh, online called the Via Character Survey, and, and maybe you've heard of it, Wanda, or maybe you've used it, um, but it's basically, it's a scientifically validated uh, assessment where the researchers went across cultures and across time and found the 24 universal strengths that uh, different societies have valued to, uh, across time and also today. And so if you go and you take this, this test, um, and it's free, you will you will you'll answer these questions, and then you will learn what your top five character strengths are. Uh, so, for example, mine are um, love of learning and curiosity and appreciation of beauty, and those make a lot of sense with my chosen path as a writer and, and a journalist. Um, 
And I think another a final way to figure out your strengths is, is you know, through, through your mentors and through talking to people who know you almost better than you know yourself. Um, and then in terms of giving those strengths, using those strengths to kind of give give to others, or, or another way to put it is giving those strengths as a gift to others, I think that, you know, you mentioned earlier that, you know, you, you, you don't think that you find meaning in one particular job or one particular circumstance, but that you're kind of, no matter what circumstance you're in, your mindset is what brings meaning to it. And I would say the same thing about um, finding purpose and using your strengths to find purpose, that if you have a certain set of strengths, that, that doesn't put you on the path to a, a particular type of job, um, you can use those strengths in whatever job that you're working in. So, like I said, I'm a, I'm a journalist, and my strengths are things like curiosity and love of learning, appreciation of beauty, but I could use those strengths also as a teacher or as a, you know, mathematician. So, I think, you know, figuring out the strengths and then finding ways to use them in what you do, whether it's your personal life with your family or at work. Yeah. I often say to people when we're having these conversations one-on-one in a coaching context, and I try to get them focused on the ways in which they're serving someone else. And you know, you sort of think, like I do a lot of work with financial services, and it's hard sometimes you think you're just trading money or you're just doing an IT project or you're just giving legal advice. But every job we do in any company should be for the purposes of ensuring that the end customer, the final user, has a better experience, a better product, a better set of advice, is enabled to do something they couldn't do before. And I often say, if your job isn't connected ultimately to the end customer, then quit doing that job because it's it's a waste of time. <laughs> so, you know, right. it's a matter of just stopping to think, what is it that I'm doing that's allowing us to serve our customers in some way? And it's amazing how easy it is then to begin to see the service that you're providing. And as you say, connect that with the strengths. Okay. Yeah, and I think... I think I really like what you're saying, and I think that it's it's important to remember that every company that exists is is existing because it's creating something of value um, to, to, for society. That you know, some entrepreneur at some point thought there is a need that needs to be satisfied, and I want to satisfy that need with my company. So I feel like every you know every business, every company has some generative aspect to it, and that you can link up whatever you're doing. To that, um, to that kind of uh, generative piece, and find purpose through that. I I want to pause. I'm going to take you off script for a minute because I just have a lovely story that I love to tell. Um, one of my clients yeah. was into heavy manufacturing, and and they made parts that go in airplane engines, and had a hard time getting the group there in manufacturing to appreciate all the um, where their components went. So this particular company, they're manufacturing component parts that go in airplane engine, and they were having a hard time getting people to focus on the quality. And so what they did is took the engine and mounted it on the ceiling and pulled it apart with string arrows going into where does our part fit into this engine. And all of a sudden, everybody's job satisfaction went way up because they had a sense of what is it that I'm doing day to day that's contributing to this thing called an airplane engine. So... I think there are often very simple ways we just have to tune into it. Exactly. Oh. I, I completely agree. That's wonderful. All right. Story. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for allowing me the time. So let's go now to the storytelling. So the whole notion behind storytelling is it's the story I tell myself and others about the experiences I've had, who I am, and how I came to be who I am. So both the adverse moments as well as the high points of life. So are there tactics for beginning to be able to craft that story, understand that story? I think so. So one of the um, studies that I write about in my book, The Power of Meaning, is um, has uh, it's, it's a kind of a, a classic uh, set of psychology studies uh, where the researcher, James Pennybaker, had research subjects come in and uh, write about the most upsetting experience of their lives for 15 minutes a day, uh, and for either three or four days in a row. Uh, and so people wrote about things like, you know, the, you know, their parents getting divorced or thinking about committing suicide or, you know, uh, being mugged or being raped. And, um, and what was really interesting was that um, after they had done the experiment, 
they ended up, you know, months later reporting better grades. Um, they were less depressed. They um, were less anxious. They enjoyed better health. They went to the doctor less often. And the reason um, was that they were making meaning of the experience, and that kind of helped them bring some closure and help them move forward in, in a more productive way. And so I mentioned that example because I think, one, it, it gives us a tool that we can actually use. You can sit down and write about whatever the most uh, upsetting experience of your life is for 15 minutes, for three days in a row, or for four days in a row. But I think that you can also do this for any defining moment of your life, you know, including positive ones, and, and have the same results. So, you know, reflecting on any of those defining moments, spending time to 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 figure out how those experiences shaped you, um, whether you grew as a result of them, how your life became better, um, is really important. And one of the um, really intriguing findings that I I write about is how um, people leading meaningful lives, uh, researchers find, tend to tell specific types of stories about their lives. So um, in particular, they tend to tell redemptive stories, so stories that move from bad things happening to good things happening. And to bring it back to this, uh, these studies that I mentioned by James Pennybaker, one of the things he found was that the people who benefited most from the uh, storytelling exercise were the ones who ended up finding some kind of positive meaning that came from the event. So maybe, you know, you know, maybe something terrible happened, like, yes, you got mugged, but then you ended up discovering that your your friends and your family were really there for you and that you were more loved than you than you ever even realized that you were. So finding the good seems to be a really important tool for for building meaning with respect to storytelling. So this reminds me, I often say in working with people that the higher you go in an organization, the more optimistic you are, the more you see the upside in every adversity. That's what I mean by optimistic. And the more optimistic you are, the higher you go. Part of the reason I believe that is nobody wants to follow a pessimist. It's just not any fun. But this mm-hmm. is the same kind of thing. We're seeing the good in anything that happened. We're seeing the upside. We're seeing the gain. We're seeing the opportunity, even if it was a pretty lousy experience. Now, do you agree with what I've just said, or would you say it differently? No, I think I think that's I think that's exactly right. That you know you, and then and then what's interesting is that when you find that good in your past experiences or your past experiences at work or in your personal life that kind of shapes your story so that in the future you're kind of more optimistic, as you say, because you know that there will be something um, positive to emerge from whatever experience you're having. So, and it also allows you, gives you some flexibility for dealing with the inevitable setbacks and challenges in your career when things don't go to plan. The other thing I find about the best leaders is they all have plenty of those setbacks and they've all figured out how to move past it and get on with it, not to dwell on it. And I I think this is a part of the same process that people do. I agree. Okay. Exactly. Okay. Well, while we're on a roll here, any advice for how to do more transcendence? You know, um, it, transcendence sounds like such a big and unwieldy pillar, like, oh, my gosh, I have to go to India and spend time with a yogi in order to experience transcendence. But, you know, actually, there was one study that shows that people who um, went and, and, and they were, the students were invited to come to a towering grove of eucalyptus trees and look up at the trees for just one minute but in that single minute, they experienced on transcendence, and as a result of that, they ended up reporting that they felt less self-centered, and they even behaved more generously later on when they were given the chance to help somebody. So, you know, just being in nature for one minute, you know, spending some time at the art museum or meditating or whatever your kind of transcendence fix is, it just be a few minutes, but it makes a big difference. Presumably, there's a part of tuning into it. I mean, we talk a lot about mindfulness um, and the being aware of the moment. So if I'm going to spend a minute looking at a grove of trees, I need to be focused on the trees, not on the thousand other things. Is that true? 
Exactly. Yeah, it, it, it's all about awareness. And I think that you can say that about meaning, you know, living a meaningful life in general, that when you have the awareness and the mindset that you want to build these four pillars in your life, you'll be more attuned to opportunities to build them um, as you go about your day-to-day life. So, you know, the walk to the, you know, your, your child's school is not just a chance for you to, like, feverishly be checking your Facebook on your phone, but it's an opportunity to kind of enjoy the beauty of the world around you and maybe even experience transcendence. Okay. So you've talked a lot about this. So I guess there's the spiritual side for people who have that as a component of their life. You've talked a lot about nature. You've talked about um, art. And you've also talked about music. Are those the three core components, the ones that take us out of our cognitive head and into something other than thinking? Yes. For people who, I mean, I, I would say yes, and that, that, that is equally true for people who are, you know, spiritual and not spiritual. And if you think about, you know, so much of how religion um, helps people experience transcendence, it's often through music and art as well. Um, and the other thing I would add to what you said is, um, like, meditation or and prayer are also um, avenues towards transcendence. Um, people who are atheists or who are, you know, people of faith can experience transcendence through meditation. Prayer, of course, um, kind of uh, implies more of a, a religious dimension. Right. But um, I would say that those, yes, those categories tend to be the ones that come up most times um, wow. as pathways towards transcendence. Well, it reminds me of people that I know take the same walk to work. Say maybe it's even from the train. And they will be aware of the changing of the seasons and the way the tree takes shape and alters and shifts. And just in that minute to walk from the train into the office building, they're stopping to look around them at whatever is there in that environment um, and often find a sense of joy in that. And that's, I think, what you mean by this transcendence. Yes, exactly. That's exactly right. It's, It's kind of being mindful about the beauty that's around you. Okay. All right. So all of this, I have one last question before we take a break again. So this whole focus on the search for meaning, I know it's a new conversation in my coaching life and with my clients. Is it new the world over or has this been going on for forever? Oh, I mean, this. I, I, well, I, I think there's two answers to it. On the one hand, you know, human beings have always been meaning-seeking creatures. We've always wanted to know what gives our lives worth and how we can make a difference in the world. And, and we all want to know that our lives matter. Um, you know, that's, you know, the earliest human beings were, create, were burying their dead. They were creating religion, re- religious rituals. So this is part of our, um, a part of our DNA, really, as, as, this, as, as human beings. I think, though, that in the last, you know, few years, last decade or so, there's been this kind of shift in our culture towards expecting and wanting our institutions um, to provide meaning, our lives to kind of have more meaning and all of these different aspects of it. Um, so I think that there is something new in that regard, but that this is a quest that human beings have been on since the beginning of history. All right. Fabulous. I love it. Fascinating. So again, to repeat, we're going to take a break. And then when we come back, we're going to talk about adversity and the way of finding meaning through adversity. But to remind you, Emily Asfahani Smith, um, the book that we've been talking about is The Power of Meaning, Crafting a Life That Matters. Our two articles, There's More to Life Than Being Happy and The Masters of Love, also available widely if you'd like to search for them. And the notion here is that people who have a meaningful life, Emily's research say, focus on four core pillars that appear over and over again. One of those is a sense of belonging, even in the micromonas that we feel connected to other people. Two, that there's a sense of purpose. Purpose comes from using my strengths to serve others in some way. Three is storytelling, and that's the story I tell of myself and other people about who I am and how I became who I am, including the defining moments that are highs and lows. And transcendence is what we've just been talking about, this notion of experiencing something above and beyond just the self and in the moment. So music, spiritual experiences, nature, art, writing, any of those that have a sense of, I guess, beauty, for lack of any other thing that take us out of ourself a bit and into 
another sense of space and time. So when we come back, I want to talk about adversity and the ways in which adversity plays into our sense of meaning. We'll be right back. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. If you want more information on the articles, books, coaching, and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. You're sure to find some helpful links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, Inc., helping organizations get it and keep it. Tune in to the soul of enterprise, business in the knowledge economy, with co-hosts Ron Baker and Ed Klass. Ron and Ed will show you how to recognize that wealth is created by intellectual capital. It's all in the possibilities that we can create and that are created for us. These possibilities are destined to be discovered by human imagination and through the service of others, creating a brighter future for all of us. The Soul of Enterprise is heard live every Friday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel and simulcast at the same time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all our show archives on demand. All from your iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Out of the Comfort Zone. To reach Dr. Wanda Wallace or her guest, call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to wanda.wallace at leadershipforuminc.com. Now, back to Out of the Comfort Zone. Welcome back. With me today is Emily Esfahani-Smith, and she's the author of The Power of Meaning, Crafting a Life That Matters. She's written a number of articles that have received enormous support and enthusiasm, and we've been talking about the things that, that people who have greater meaning in their life, her research says, do. Sense of belonging, sense of purpose, storytelling, and transcendence. So, Emily, I want to talk now about adversity, and I want to put this in a little bit of an extreme case. Because there are plenty of examples of people who've gone through astronomically horrible events. Um, we had a we talked on a radio show a few months ago about uh, someone who was blown up in, or injured badly, lost both limbs in the Boston Marathon, or somebody who survives an absolutely horrendous tour as a Navy SEAL only to have a horrible bike accident that causes them to lose their limbs, or somebody who survives cancer, or somebody who loses the power of their body. I mean, those are extreme cases of adversity. And we often are drawn to those stories because those people seem to have a greater sense of meaning than the average of us walking around. We're kind of awestruck by this. So is adversity necessary for having a sense of meaning? I I think that it's not necessary. You can certainly lead a meaningful life without experiencing adversity. But I do think that adversity and suffering in general, whether it's these big ways of suffering like you've just described or just smaller ways of suffering like experiencing self-doubt, anxiety, depression, um, that these moments of adversity almost invite us to create meaning or to ask ourselves, what makes my life meaningful? What is this all about? Why did I experience this? Um, and how, how has it changed me? So I don't think it's necessary, but it does kind of open us up to finding more meaning. All right, I have to repeat that because that was a really profound thing, especially because I bet I spend 60% of my coaching time talking to people about self-doubts or anxiety in one form or another. So you said the smaller moments of suffering like self-doubt or anxiety or even depression 
invite us to create meaning, to examine what this means for us, what this is telling us about, and how it's helped us grow or change. Exactly. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I, and I, and I, you know, I don't want to diminish kind of the severity of something like um, depression, um, especially clinical depression. But I think what I was referring to is the kind of depression that we all from time to time experience about our lives and, you know, wondering if I'm, if I'm on the right path, am I doing the right thing? And yes, I do think that these moments open us up to kind of taking stock of our lives and, and figuring out if we're on the right path, um, and what the meaning of our lives is. Okay. I'm going to do this by a personal story. I don't often do this, but I remember this was many years ago. I went through a particularly difficult part in life. Um, you know, we all have some of those. This was a very difficult transition moment for me. And I remember in that moment taking stock of the friends, the places I spent my time with friends and realizing that some of those friendships mattered more than others to me and that there wasn't enough time. So I sort of took stock of how am I investing my time in the people around me and made a conscious decision to be very mindful of who and where I spend my time. Is that the kind of thing you mean? Yes, yes, absolutely. I think that, you know, one of the um, uh, the, one of the things I write about in my book is this phenomenon called post-traumatic growth. So after you experience some sort of adversity, um, you, you grow in certain ways. And I think that, you know, the, the, the same, it's called post-traumatic growth, but I think it can be called just post-adversity growth as well. So one of the areas that people grow in is exactly what you're describing, which is their relationships. So after you experience some kind of setback or adversity, you start to kind of prioritize the things that are more important to you, like your positive relationships. Okay. So this means when I didn't get that promotion or the role that I wanted, or I have a boss that is not the easiest person for me to get along with, to recognize that it may be tough in the moment, but it is an invitation to take stock. What am I learning Where's my priorities? How am I going to grow as a result of this experience? Exactly. That's right. Okay. All right. And any advice for how to do that? Because quite honestly, in the midst of, I think this boss is going to kill me, not literally, but metaphorically, it's kind of mm-hmm. hard to take stock. So any advice on how? The What I found is that the way that people kind of move through adversity is by building and leaning on the different pillars of meaning that we already talked about. So, um, you know, the people who tend to be most resilient to adversity already had those pillars in their lives, the strong presences, excuse me, and they were able to lean on them. So they turned to their relationships for support. They had a sense of purpose that kind of helped them drive, to help drive them through the adversity. They were able to kind of understand in terms of a narrative how the adversity fit into their lives. Maybe they had some transcendent sources of meaning that help give them perspective and realize that there's something bigger out there um, and that your life isn't going to be over because of this adversity. So I think that leaning on those pillars of meaning is really important and also building those pillars. So maybe, um, you know, maybe some sort of difficult conversation with your boss helps you remember or realize what your purpose actually is or helps you give you an opportunity to craft some kind of narrative about what this um, experience means and how it's going to shape you. Okay. I remember doing that with a particularly difficult boss. I, I remember my defining moment was to create my list of things I was never going to do. That helped, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> you do yeah. learn that that one. Um, it also reminds me, when we talked about the Navy SEAL with the injury and the woman who had survived the Boston Marathon, one of the components, of their stories and their ability to move past these events really had to do with leaning on people who were there for them even when they didn't know what to ask for. And so you're right about having had those kind of connected relationships from the very beginning, the belonging, um, and having built that, invested in it, so that it, it appears in ways you never would have expected, often from people you would never expected too as well. Exactly. It's like um, those pillars are kind of reserves of strength for you to lean on in those hard moments. Exactly. All right. We've got just a couple of minutes left. So I can't help but ask, what got you to write this book? Is there a particular um, moment? 
Yeah, so I wrote this book, um, what, you know, when I was in graduate school for positive psychology, I thought, like so many other people, um, that the whole point and purpose of life is being happy and that we should pursue happiness. Um, but then I started uh, coming across some research that really made me question that. Um, for example, um, there was research showing that the pursuit of happiness makes people unhappy, it makes them lonely, um, and that, as I mentioned in an earlier segment, it can actually be associated with being a taker uh, rather than a giver, whereas the meaningful life is associated with being a giver. It leads to this more deep, long-lasting form of well-being. And it just made me realize that maybe we're chasing the wrong thing. Maybe we have our sights set on the wrong goal and that what we should actually be focused on is living a meaningful life instead of um, trying to focus on our own personal happiness. That's fabulous. I love that. And for anybody who hasn't read the book, the writing is absolutely beautiful and elegant. And as Emily has said a couple of times on the show, um, she is driven by the sense of beauty, among other things. So uh, you see it in the writing of the book. So as my highlights, as I look through this, it seems to me that all of us can have a greater sense of meaning in our lives if we choose to invest in the four pillars. And just to summarize again, there's a sense of belonging. So yes, there's my long-term relationships. Yes, there's my family. Yes, there's the deep connection I have at work. But there's also the moment-to-moment ways in which I connect with people that I encounter. The person serving coffee, the person I meet on the train, um, the person I'm serving in a moment. There's lots of those as well as our longer-term relationships. The second pillar is the sense of purpose, and purpose comes from, one, understanding my strengths, and two, finding a ways in which I'm using those strengths to be of service, where the service is to my fellow colleagues around me or the service is to the ultimate customer or to some other cause. Either way, I contend that can be done in every life, in every role. The third is the storytelling, and this is really more of being aware of the events, the highs and the lows, the things that I have used in those highs and lows to bring me through, and the ways in which I have gained um, and grown as part of the experience. And then to be able to tell that story in a redemptive way, to see the upside, the good, the growth story in it, not just the adversity moments. And then the last one we spent a good bit of time talking about is this notion of transcendence, being tuned to something that is beyond me, be that the spiritual, the nature, music, art, or anything else, meditation, yoga, any of those things that take you away from just yourself and into a different moment. Emily, it's been a delight having you on the show. Thank you for having me, Wanda. I've really enjoyed this. It's been fabulous. All right, and then join us next week for another episode. Thank you very much. Thank you for joining us for Out of the Comfort Zone. Tune in again for another edition with Dr. Wanda Wallace next Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time and 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Reach outside your comfort zone this week.